we like to say um, team, 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 product and market as far as what we look for. Because we are investing early, as you mentioned, it's really about the founders. Easier said than done. What makes for a good founder? What makes for a good team? But at a very high level, we want to see diversity, diversity in founders in all ways, uh, not just gender and racial and otherwise, but of course that's important, but also you know, in, that they're working on different parts of the business. You have someone who's selling at least sort of typically the CEO title and someone who's building at a minimum that typically the CTO doesn't have to be. Bonus points if there's also someone great on product and design and marketing and um, grow, you know, growth hacking, that's all great. We want to see a well-rounded team. Everyone's working well together. They all own clear and separate areas of the business because ultimately when you're investing that early, we have a view toward things being hard. We have a view toward potential pivots down the line. And you're really backing the people more than you are the idea. This is the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast, showcasing outstanding startups and initiatives in the global sports tech ecosystem. From Sports Tech X, the leading source for data and insights about sports tech. Here is your host, Ron Maholtra. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast. This is Ron, and you're actually hearing from me and from us after a bit of a break. This is our first episode of 2022, actually. Yeah, we've been busy, busy boys in the podcast. Not that it's been forgotten, it's just that we've been doing a lot of other things, um, which we're going to talk about in, in a second, but the podcast is now coming back into focus. We're going to do it as we always do, two episodes a month, bringing you a lineup of cool guests from the sports tech industry, one of whom I have on today's episode. But before we get there, um, just to talk about what we've been up to. So, of course, our new batch of reports will come out. If you're familiar with our Sports Tech X website, we've just launched a new property called Sports Tech X Connect which we're hoping to help startups. And we've been doing this a lot in the background previously, which has helped startups with a bit, bit of fundraising and connecting investors to the right companies. Um, yeah, we're just bringing that into more focus, so working with specific companies or companies that we'd really like to push their name through the ecosystem. Apart from that, we have some exciting news coming up, which I was hoping to announce already, um, but maybe that's for next for the next episode about our partnerships that we're doing that we've got live uh, running right now some interesting new initiatives more content uh, more of all the stuff that you like us for or at least i hope so anyway so that's a little bit about what's happening with us what i want to talk about today though is what's happening with TechStars, the sports accelerator out of indianapolis i've got jordan flegel the managing director with me on today's episode. He, of course, runs Techstars New York and Techstars Sports. These are two different cohorts. Techstars New York is anything apart from sports, I was told by Jordan just a few minutes ago. Uh, but Techstars Sports itself is in year four now. Um, they've grown from about 10 companies that are selected every year to, I believe, they're going to do 13. Now, the applications are closed. They just closed on the 4th of Feb. Jordan is going to tell us more about the selection process, the fine companies that actually make the shortlist and get into the cohort. But before we get there, let's say hello to Jordan. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Ron. All good, Jordan. Now, as always, before we get to the initiatives of why, what we're going to talk about today, I'm always curious about the person that I'm going to talk to. We've, let's say, been socially connected um, in different ways. You've been featured in our content in the past, but I don't think we have spoken before. So good to meet you finally. And also, I have to say, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and it's quite a little impressive uh, little CV you've got there. Exited founder a couple of times over, if I understand correctly, before you actually got involved with the Techstars initiative. So give us that story, man. How did you get here? Yeah, sure. And great, great to meet you as well. And thanks, thanks for the kind words. Um, yeah, my, my background, I guess, the summary of it is uh, athlete to founder to investor. Um, I was I, not a great athlete. I played college basketball and briefly played professionally in Israel and Europe for two years, very unremarkably, but it was a fun experience. Uh, fast forwarding, went to business school uh, where I was playing basketball in Israel, Tel Aviv University. And in Israel, everyone has a startup idea, it seems. Um, and that's where I really caught the bug for startups. And when I came back from overseas to Boston, where I'm from, I had this idea of starting a company. So I worked briefly at a venture-backed marketplace. It was for less than a year, but I learned a little bit about building a marketplace. I knew a little bit about coaching and, and sports from being an athlete and from being a private basketball coach. And so light bulb idea was to build a marketplace for kids and coaches um, because none existed. And that was my first business, uh, coachup.com. Uh, and I was in incredibly fortunate, I think, to be working on something that I was passionate about, even though I was 25 and had no idea what I was doing. I knew a little bit about marketplaces and a little bit about coaching, and I was able to hustle and get a lot of help along the way. And uh, today, CoachUp's the leading sports coaching company in North America. Uh, we have over 15,000 coaches on the platform, kind of an Uber or Airbnb for X type of business. Uh, Steph Curry, you know, I think maybe the greatest basketball player of all time when it's all said and done, certainly in the conversation. As my partner, he's the face of the company. Uh, we raised uh, Venture Capital, General Catalyst was our lead VC. Haven't stole, sold that business yet. I still chair the board, but it's profitable and category leader today. I'm really proud of uh, having kind of built that business and, and where it's at today. My second startup was Draft.com. Uh, that took me from Boston to New York City. I wasn't the founder of that business, but I was co-CEO with my friend Jeremy Levine, uh, basically my brother. We grew up together since we were little kids. It was a lot of fun working with him and a small team. We sold that business for $48 million in 2017. And the takeaway is Daily Fantasy Sports app. We were competing with FanDuel and DraftKings. We were, we were much smaller um, than them, but we only raised $6 million in venture. Uh, Upfront was in LA was our lead VC. And we had a tiny team. We were 10 people. We'd only raised $6 million. And so when you have an outcome like that, it's a great win for everyone. And um, it, it really kind of developed a, a view for me, I think, that experience that really how founders win generally is kind of selling companies in that range, 25 to $75 million range, where most acquisitions happen. Something like 70% of all acquisitions are in that range. And though we all talk about building unicorns and going for the moon and everything, it's very rare that a business can actually support that. There's a lot of risk along the way for the founders and investors. Um, and so that that's a view sorry, I took away from that experience. We, we actually introduced FanDuel to the group, and then we bought, bought FanDuel, while I was at Patty Parr Betfair, we sold Draft2. So that was a great sort of M&A experience. And uh, that's now the category leading company in the U.S. in sports betting and fantasy sports. 
From there, I decided to launch an accelerator uh, with Techstars, the Techstars Sports Accelerator in 2019, because Coachup had gone through Techstars Boston, and uh, Draft, two pivots prior, had gone through Techstars as well. And so I had worked on two sports startups who had both gone through Techstars, one that I did as a founder and one that I joined later as co-CEO. So I really loved Techstars, was appreciated. I had a lot of appreciation for Techstars and just wanted to kind of pay it forward and, and kind of thought, well, what if, you know, the next generation of founders like me come up, wouldn't it be great? They're building something in sports to have a dedicated sports accelerator to help them, the kind of program I wish existed uh, for me. And so launched that in 2019. We, we've done three years of Techstars Sports now. We've expanded from 10 to 11 and now 13 companies peer through Techstars Sports. Uh, we've been a, had a great run, a lot of success. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that. It's been really uh, rewarding experience for me to be on the other side of the table from founders, but but really helping them and working closely with them. I'm also uh, been investing in startups over invested over 250 startups for the last decade uh, through a small fund and syndicate called Founders First, and uh, that's agnostic investing, uh, but learned a lot through that process as well. Sort of writing 50k to 250k kind of small checks. And uh, a few other things along the way, bought a basketball team with some friends in uh, New Zealand of all places. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my, my life story, I guess, has just been kind of the evolution of um, growing from uh, and, and taking lessons I learned from sports into building companies and now into sort of mentoring, investing, advising in companies and sharing some of the lessons I've learned along the way. There's quite a few chapters you've got into your book there already, Jordan, and I'm sure there are plenty more left to write. Uh, but yeah, as you said, being modest when you call yourself a pro athlete who doesn't get anywhere. I mean, there are a few of us who never even got to pro, not even close. So yeah, a bit, bit of jealousy there. Um, but no, I think I think the journey is very cool. And I, I, what I like most about it is coming back to the Techstars program is the fact that you went through Techstars yourself, as you said, a couple of times. So I think it's a great endorsement to their program and also the value that 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 you were able to get out of it and then see that, that it could create um so let's talk about that before we jump off to anything else so the texas sport sports accelerator you already mentioned started in 2019 and you just closed the applications for the latest cohort so unfortunately any startups listening i guess you have to wait for next year but what you can help us with though is um what kind of startups you look for at what stage they uh, ordinarily are, the super early stage, or they at least MVP, maybe pre-revenue. Um, are there any specific segments within the sports tech industry, I don't know, performance-based or fan solutions, et cetera, that you generally go for? Or is it totally open as long as it's related to sports? We, we like to say um, team, 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 product and market as far as what we look for. Because we are investing early, as you mentioned, it's really about the founders. Easier said than done. What makes for a good founder? What makes for a good team? But at a very high level, we want to see diversity, diversity in founders in all ways, uh, not just gender and racial and otherwise, but of course that's important, but also you know, in, that they're working on different parts of the business. You have someone who's selling at least sort of typically the CEO title and someone who's building at a minimum that typically the CTO doesn't have to be. Bonus points if there's also someone great on product and design and marketing and um, grow, you know, growth hacking, that's all great. We want to see a well-rounded team. Everyone's working well together. They all own clear and separate areas of the business because ultimately 
when you're investing that early, we have a view toward things being hard. We have a view toward potential pivots down the line. And you're really backing the people more than you are the idea. Typical companies have raised somewhere between nothing to $2 million when they are coming into our accelerator, probably average about a million dollars in funding pre-programmed. That's, that's a bit higher than most accelerators. Um, we've been very successful last year, three years. We have, if not the highest, one of the highest performing accelerators in the world in terms of IRR over that period of time, though it's still early and all unrealized. So we tend to get slightly later stage, still very early, but I mean, not necessarily just two, two people and a dog and an idea, um, but sometimes it's product to market, a little bit of traction, a little bit of funding coming into the accelerator. Um, but certainly not necessary uh, for us to be excited about it. And in fact, we'd be a little bit concerned if the company's raised three or four million bucks or something and, and still wants to go through the accelerator um, at that stage. As far as categories, sports is such a great, great space. And uh, it's been performing very well from a, a venture standpoint over the last several years, um, in part because of legislative change. So obviously, name, image, likeness. The NCAA is one of our partners at the accelerator, so we're very close on name, image, likeness of investment few companies in that space that's legislative change you know allowing college athletes to benefit from their name image and likeness nil um, sports betting you know the repeal of paspa of course i was very close to this when i was at draft and petty part betfair um that experience but you know sports betting being decriminalized and rolled out across the country i think now 30 states uh have uh, you know allowed sports betting outside of nevada and i believe about 18 of those last i checked are um uh, are open for online betting. And we imagine that that'll probably get to 40 plus states and, you know, that online sports betting will probably be eventually legal in, in all of those 40 states as such a better consumer experience. Um, so that, that that's opened up not just opportunities in sports betting, but in related categories like daily fantasy sports, um, you know, media, anywhere that, you know, any company that has sports fans, the ability to monetize them as affiliates or betting or fantasy you know obviously a lot of data opportunities around that um, so sort of a lot of categories there and, and I, I sort of view sports betting as nfts with you know uh sports cards it, it it's all ultimately about passionate sports fans being able to put a little bit of money toward uh their favorite players and teams and get some action on the uh, the games that they're watching in one form or another so it's all sort of related as subcategories but another one that's i'll just mention i don't want to keep going for too long but connected fitness i think through the pandemic that's been a really great category for us we made a lot of investments in at-home fitness but obviously people are spending a lot more time in their homes and looking to build out their their home gyms and uh get you know a range of workout opportunities outside of big box gyms that's been a space we've been very active you know wearables obviously whoop being a great example but anything you know sort of revolving a quantified self and people better understanding their health and fitness and tracking it is a great space. So when you, when you think about sports tech, if you look at it very broadly like that, and that's how we do, it touches so many different categories. And a lot of those categories are really growing a lot, you know, resulting by pandemic, by changing consumer habits, by changing legislation, and just by the overall passion that people have for sports. I feel like, Jordan, you might have read one of our reports from last year or quite possibly also <laughs> the same conclusion yourself, which is that the three topics that you just spoke about, connected fitness, NFTs, and sports betting and fantasy were the three biggest, let's say, investment attractors 
uh, in 2021. Um, that's by far, I think, the, uh, like I said, it's <laughs> we covered it in our content, but it's visible for everyone to see um, how fast these spaces are moving. But I really liked also the point that you mentioned about changes in legislation. Well, sports betting, of course, is a product of that. I mean, we saw your state, the state of New York, break all sorts of records. I think in January, they what was nearly over a billion and a half or nearly two billion or something like that. Some crazy amount uh, went through the sports books, um, which had never been done before. Um, but that was a result of a legislative change. They've been long in, in the making and the same with NIL. So startups who react to legislative change or let's say upcoming legislative change are always in an interesting position. All right, speaking of uh, startups, um, I, I know you, you mentioned that you've closed the applications and you're in the selection process and I'm not going to push you to give me uh, names or anything of that sort. But maybe you can talk about some themes that are especially relevant for this year uh, or maybe some themes that you're seeing which we didn't already cover, which are not from uh, the biggest trends, but something more interesting, which is a bit out there. Sure, absolutely. Um, of course, can't disclose the names, but yeah, as far as themes, fan engagement is, is a category that I, I didn't just mention, but that I think is really exciting. Um, we're seeing you know such a rise in professional sports team uh, valuations, and um, you know, but I think I think the fan experience hasn't kind of changed as much as other categories within sports and though these properties are getting so much more valuable as our tech companies around them, um, we're not seeing as much on fan experience. And so that's a, that's a category that I'm excited to make more bets. You know, I think ticketing is a really important subcategory within fan experience, which is a subcategory, I think, within sports tech. But for instance, we, we invested in Project Admission in 2019, which is uh, a ticketing company out of Nashville. It's doing quite well and just raised a, a large seed round. They, they um, are trying to make tickets smarter. So about 40% of fans who go to a game, uh, the, the venue or the team, they, they don't know who that fan is because the person uh, you know, that they sold the ticket to ended up reselling it or transferring it or brings you know, a friend with them. They don't know who that person is. And about 40% of tickets that are sold go unused as well. And so this creates a real problem, not just in, for putting butts in seats, which is you know, the primary number one goal of, uh, of the teams have on the business side, but also for data, for tracking, for remarketing, even from a safety or COVID perspective, just knowing who, you're, knowing who your, your customers are is so, so important. And any sort of consumer business, tech company, you know, gets information about their customers, thinks a lot about retention and retargeting and segmentation. It's hard for teams to do that. So Project Remission is, is maybe the antidote that can help. I'm really excited about that. We're looking at other companies, including in this year's class, can't give the name, but really excited about one company that uh, is helping make season tickets uh, more digestible and fractionalized and more interesting and available to a larger segment of sports fans versus the traditional model of only you know, predominantly pretty wealthy people buying season ticket pass and not being able to you know, use all of the games. You know, we're seeing this in other categories. We're seeing in real estate, you know, the fractionalization of luxury vacation homes, for instance. Now, why hasn't that happened with season tickets? So I often look a lot at other categories of the spaces for inspiration. What's happening in real estate? What's happening in, you know, fintech? And then what are the applications for that in sports? Because ultimately, from a consumer perspective, 
the same people who say might just to keep with this example might be buying fractionalized vacation homes or you know co-investing in you know limited edition art like masterworks what's the equivalent of that in sports um so you know i get so much inspiration from other things and other categories i spend at least half my time looking at spaces outside of sports to try to bring new perspectives into the sports category but fan engagement is is one i'm, I'm excited about um and you know we're going to continue to make investments there i'm excited about the influencer space you know, influencers a great number of them are fitness influencers professional athletes who have a massive following whether it's at the pro level or now thanks to nil at the college level so platforms that make it easier for brands to engage with influencers to be able to execute on influencer marketing strategies, enable influencers to cut out middlemen and be more efficient, make more of a, a living or a full-time job, or just grow their business. And I think that's kind of exciting space that not quite sports properly defined, but touches sports so much because of the, the prominent role that, that athletes and, and fitness influencers have that, we have already made bets in that space and are going to be making more. So just to name two that I think are maybe less talked about uh, versus other categories, but I think are really exciting. Yeah, a lot to unpack there and very, very interesting directions um, or very interesting thought process, actually. I think that's the biggest takeaway. One thing I will comment there is I love the idea of looking at spaces outside of your verticals. I mean, that's something that I, for example, consciously try to do with the books I read, which is not read anything related to business or even sports, unless it's an autobiography I can't resist, just to get inspiration or you don't know where that inspiration can come from. So again, to start a founders, uh, look outside, look outside and you'll be all sorts of surprised. Stay up to date with all things sports tech and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a monthly breakdown of the most important developments in the global sports tech ecosystem, paired with exclusive interviews with industry leaders. Get all of this and more delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up today at sportstechx.com. Very cool, Jordan. You already raised a couple of success stories that have gone through your program. Um, if you want, feel free to mention any more uh, that you want to highlight. Uh, but I'm also interested in what sort of advice uh, you might have for startup founders, first time or otherwise, through maybe some of the challenges that you faced in exiting, well, building and exiting companies, and even through having reviewed, I don't know how many thousands of startups you've gone through to get to that portfolio of 200 and get to your cohorts. The number one thing I would say is mindset. Often founders are working so hard and running 100 miles per hour, 80 hour weeks, thinking about building their companies versus thinking about developing their mindset as, as founder CEO. And I'm really talking about this, the CEO here most importantly, but I think applicable maybe to other founders on the team as well. Mindset is the most important thing. So understanding and really taking the time to read, to research, and to develop a real view not just on your business, not just on the market that you happen to be in, not just on the overall venture landscape, though it's all important, but really on where are you going? I didn't think enough about that when I started Coach Up, but like just as an example I brought up earlier, three quarters of exits happen between 25 and $75 million. If you really internalize that, maybe you think you'll be exceptional and 
you'll, you'll be a unicorn, you'll go public. But, you know, just knowing the odds of that, really thinking about who's likely to buy my company and for how much, what revenue is valuable, what revenue is not valuable. For instance, subscription revenue generally be more valuable than transactional revenue. And thinking about your business and your category in terms of, in terms of that, but also in terms of what's a win for you. If you own, you know, you raise less money and you own a third of your business when you sell it instead of five or 10% or something. And, you know, after working for five years in the U.S., you know, if you're a C-Corp, you have QSBS stock, again, important to research and to understand these things. That's Section 1202 U.S. tax code. You know, the first $10 million you make is tax-free after a five-year hold as a founder. So if you could sell your business for $50, $75 million after five, six years working on it, very doable with a lot less risk. Well, you're a lot more likely to get to that outcome than you are to a billion-plus outcome. And you own a third of that business, and you haven't raised that much venture, you know, so you, you have that ownership, you have control over your board, and you make $10, $15 million, $5 million. It be life-changing for a founder, especially if it's tax-free, especially if you're young, as most founders are, and you have a lifetime to sort of compound that. You know, you get really wealthy, have a great experience, more control, and a lot of less drama of venture. So it's funny because I'm sort of a quasi-VC now. But venture capital is such a drug, it's a high-speed train that is only really meant for a small, small subset of companies that really, you know, really need it. Most don't, and in fact, can be quite harmful. And I think, you know, it's funny, just in talking to founders, you could say this, but I think most founders don't internalize it. And they're like, yeah, 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 but I want to have that article that in TechCrunch that says I raised $50 million in it. You know, I want to bring some celebrities into my round and show off and that happens, you know. It's not ultimately what it's about. Building a real company that delivers a valuable product or service to real people and, uh, and having an exit where you win and you're more likely to achieve anything else. So I think the proper path for the vast majority of founders is you know, to envision a life where they're going to start five to ten companies. They're going to try to exit for 25 to $75 million. And if they hit on one or two, wow, you know, they're financially great. Their family's future is great. And uh, they've delivered a lot of great companies and services that learned a lot along the way, had a lot of fun, controlled their own destiny and avoided a lot of the pitfalls and risks. So that's just, just talking about funding and likely outcomes. I mean, that's just one example of mindset. There's so many more, you know, I don't want to talk for too long on this point, but a second example is just the power of delegation. As a first time founder, I was, I was obsessed with how much I was doing. I was going to outwork everyone. I was going to, you know, own multiple different parts of the business. And I was going to push, 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 because as an athlete, sometimes you think you can do that. And I'm just going to power through. But the proper mindset to have, I learned is as a founder is the opposite, a total 180 opposite of an employee. An employee is trying to work as hard as they possibly can to grow within the organization, to achieve higher and higher roles, to ultimately someday become the CEO. They're trying to have more and more ownership of the business more and more responsibility. The founder is the antithesis. As a founder, you start on day one, it's just you. You own 100% of the business, you own all of the areas of the business, all the responsibility, all the work. Your goal is to work as hard as you can to move down, to give up all of the responsibility, all of the ownership, to bring on people smarter than you in every possible category so that as soon as possible, you have no responsibility in the company outside of raising money, hiring great people, 
motivating them and making sure that, you know, you don't run out of money and maybe poking your head up along the way to sort of think about strategic M&A or game-changing opportunities. But really your responsibility is to do as little as possible because you have a high-functioning team that's working without you, right? It's a totally different mindset the founder has versus the employee. So that's just two examples of mindset that I really try to instill in our founders. I think it's under-talked about, under-appreciated, but I, I think it's it's really valuable and you know, founders kind of learn it the hard way over time if, if they don't have sort of the wisdom and guidance of people who have sort of been through it a bit more and can sort of share, share that perspective with them early on. Sage words. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how a founder thinks is core to what he creates, he or she creates. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Having clear ideas of where you're headed, what your exit strategy is. The biggest point that you just raised, which is the art of delegation, I think every single founder ever out there has struggled with that or letting go of control, but it's important. Um, yeah, you can only run that fast when you're holding the ball. Fair, Jordan, some great points. I want to talk about what's next. All right, let's focus on that. Where does uh, the Techstar Sports Accelerator go from? From where it is, are there more prog- programs coming up? Uh, what's next for you guys? For sure. So, you know, this year we're doing 13 companies, next year as well, going into year four this year, so next year will be year five. Uh, it's going really well. We, we initially set out to do this for three years, budgeted for three years, it's been quite successful. So now continuing on for another two, and I imagine we'll keep continuing on for, for years to come. Um, it's been not only a, a really well-performing accelerator, it's been uh, clearly category leader, um, within, within the sports ecosystem as well. And also been great for the city of Indianapolis. You know, our, our partnership there and why we're there is because all the leading sports properties in town came together to say, how do we make Indy a home for sports tech? Indiana, Indiana is known for basketball. It's the home of basketball. Indianapolis is known for racing, of course, with Indy 500. It's known for college sports. NCAA is based there. It's known for sports tourism. It's the leader in sports tourism. Uh, most youth sports tournaments, uh, and that's uh, through the Indiana Sports Corp that, that really pushes on behalf of the state to have major tournaments, Big Ten Championship, NCAA Final Four, NFL Combine, all these things are in Indy. So it, it's a home for sports. Sports is a, a key, key and major industry in Indianapolis. But, you know, similar, I think, how, and again, looking at analogies in other places we can learn from, you know, Pittsburgh is... You know, it's not San Francisco, it's not LA, it's not New York, it's not Boston, it's not Austin, it's not a tech hub, but for robotics companies, because of the robotic success and the talent they've had coming out of Carnegie Mellon to Pittsburgh, it has become uh, the place to be if you're building a robotics startup. So the question is sort of, how can Indy become that for sports? And the, and the thought was, well, let's have the leading sports tech accelerator. Let's put it there. Let's fly in founders from around the world and let's do it with total support not only from all the leading uh, sports properties in town, who are our partners, the Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis Colts, NCAA, you know, Indy 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indiana Sports Corp. They all came together, our partners in sports, but also the state of Indiana itself. There's next level funds. So this is a fund of fund on behalf of the state of Indiana itself. You know, the governor of Indiana personally meets all of our founders and they come to the yeah, accelerator like that. That doesn't happen in say California. Um, so, you know, that, that's that's the idea that and the vision that was really compelling to me, and especially as someone who spent my whole life on the East Coast, Boston and New York, you know, it was great to go to a smaller market and really try to build something from the ground up that could 
have a huge impact on, on not just the city, but the state itself, in addition to the category. So really excited about where things are, the success we've had the last couple of years. Uh, you know, in, in particular, we've had a few companies that have raised a bunch of money, high valuations coming out that are doing really well. I mean, Ergata comes to mind, raised $35 million within a year and a half coming out of our accelerator. It's like a Peloton for rowing kind of company broadly defined. Ergata it's doing really well. So you have some stories like that. Company comes in with a couple people and an idea. We're able to really help them and, uh, and you know, to see where it is right now and, and how fast it's growing. It's exciting and makes me really uh, curious to see what we can do with the next batch of companies. Uh, this year, I'm also uh, going to be running Techstars New York. So I'm running two accelerators per year. Techstars New York has historically been one of the very top accelerators of Techstars and, and in the world. Uh, great companies have gone through it, such as ClassPass, other prominent examples come out of New York through Techstars that have gone public. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, I'm based in New York City most of the year, back and forth New York City to Indy. And, uh, you know, my second startup, Draft.com, was in New York. So to be able to get back to the New York ecosystem and participate in that is great. New York City is, is growing a ton. Uh, venture-backed startups actually in, in the New York area just last year raised uh, over $50 billion. And that's more than double what uh, New York City startups raised in 2020 it was like 20.2 billion or something in 2020. Um, so it, it's not just it's the number two market uh, for startups and venture capital now in the world after San Francisco and the Valley, but it's it's the fastest growing uh, as far as I know. So uh, and also uh, a really really great you know city in terms of having some obviously it's massive city a huge market, uh, but in terms of fintech consumer. Great universities there. There's a lot of exciting businesses that are that are in categories that are you know give New York an advantage versus other places. So I think for different reasons, but sports and indie and and in New York, a bunch of different categories that we're excited about, and I think we have a bit of an advantage being in those places. Yeah, you don't have to sell me twice. Everybody would love the idea of setting up a startup in New York uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned: the ecosystem, the vibrancy of the city, and probably most importantly, the access to good capital. Um, which is important for any startup on that journey. So, yeah, look forward to seeing the next cohort. And, of course, um, best luck on your journey as um, head of the Techstars New York Accelerator. Let's see what cool startups you take to IPOs there. Um, uh, thanks. Thanks so much, Ron. I, pre- I appreciate it. All right, Jordan, my last question, which is always the, the one I end this podcast with, and it's my favorite one to ask. Um, I believe we're all sports fans in some capacity or the other. And that's why we love working in the industry that we do. Uh, so my question to you is, what has been your favorite sporting moment? Uh, either perhaps uh, as from your own career as a pro athlete or some that, something that you witnessed as a fan in stadium or at home. I have a feeling, though, that the answer is going to come from the world of basketball. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Had so many great, great moments. And some of the best moments were just spending time with teammates and having fun. And, you know, but if I had to name one, I'm going to turn, turn way back in time. 1992, I was six. My dad took me to the old garden, old Boston garden. And we had a great seats through a friend of his who gave us these seats. And I was very close to the aisle where the players, you know, coming in and out the tunnel. And Larry Bird was walking off the court toward the tunnel. 
and my dad held me up, reached me over the, uh, the edge so I could lean down and I extended my hand to Larry. And he's walking, he's ignoring everyone, and he reached up and he gave me a high five and touched my hand. And after that, uh, after I touched Larry's hand, my dad passed me down the aisle as all the other fans sitting around us wanted to touch my hand because I had touched Larry's hand. And, and I didn't wash my hands for like, I don't know, three or four days or something. I think my mom probably made me wash my hands at some point, and that's what stopped it. But, you know, it, that speaks to the power of sports. I had been blessed by, by the legend, by my hero, Larry Bird. And just to get back on that experience, not just the impact that, you know, like an idol like that can have on a kid, but also how much sports matters to people and how it brings people together. You know, everyone in our row around that thinking back on it, it's crazy. They're all trying to, I mean, especially now in the era of COVID and, you know, <laughs> we're all trying to wash our hands and, and not, you know, not give high fives and not handshake and stuff like that. But that everyone wanted to reach out and touch my hand because I had touched Larry's hand and that we were all connected to our love of the Celtics. We we're all connected to Larry Bird, connected to our city. You know, that's the power of sports. And, and I try to remember that when I think about investing in sports tech and, and what we're really doing is celebrating passion and connecting people based on where they live, based on um, their favorite sports, their favorite players. It's something that is really ingrained in us, many of us as kids. And it's one of the few things as you grow older that you just don't lose. You st I still have that share of sense of wonder. And, you know, if I ever saw Larry Bird, I would be, I'd be shy going up to him. I probably wouldn't even go up to him, you know? And I try to just keep that perspective. It's what ultimately makes me so excited about, you know, being in the category, investing in the category and trying to create great experiences for, for consumers and fans. Man, Jordan, you've brought a smile to my face and I guess that anybody who's listening is smiling as well. That is a great story and also a great reminder of why we do what we do because sports is that. Sports is that powerful and sports is so full of emotion and community and all those things that just, like I said, bring a smile to our faces. Man, Jordan, it's been absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for not just telling us about tech stars, but also dropping some pearls of wisdom. It's almost like you should write a book, no? Uh, I did one of those before, right. coaching up. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I figured that was an alley-oop. Uh, and I, I don't know if I'll dunk it for you, but I'll lay it in. Uh, yeah, coaching up. Uh, yeah, the best part of that was uh, Shane Battier, NBA champion, you know, great player, great person. He wrote the four chapter for the book, which I think is better than anything that I contributed to the book. Um, so if you're curious, you should at least read the forward chapter by Shane Battier. But yeah, the book's called Coaching Up. Yeah. You know, uh, Ron, I think never again. It was a labor of love, uh, but a lot goes into writing a book. And uh, I don't know if I have any more in my future, but it was a fun, fun project to do that one time. I'm sure it was. Man, again, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. And yeah, look forward to seeing everything that you get up to. Thanks so much. Had a lot of fun. Appreciate you letting me chat. And uh, let's be in touch. All right, guys, that is our episode for today. Make sure to catch um, all the information that Jordan talked about from their Techstars posts. I mean, you'll see links in the podcast episode. Maybe even go check out his book. And at least the forward, as he mentioned, you might get some more pearls of wisdom, uh, more than you've got today anyway. All right, that's a wrap. See you guys in an episode a couple of weeks from now. Have a good one.
Thanks for listening to the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast with Roan Maholtra. If you like our show, let us know and leave a review. And if you want to know more about us, check out sportstechx.com, where you can find our latest industry reports and updates. For a deeper dive into all things sports tech, check out our comprehensive database, SportsTechDB, at sportstechdb.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us at SportsTechX on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Join us next time for another insightful conversation with a leader in sports tech.